It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I'm getting sick and tired of doing these depressing Ricos. I'm looking forward to a Rico Bronia where we can rejoice from a series victory, where we can be happy, where we can be giddy, where we can be optimistic. But it's getting very, very difficult because every series that goes by, it feels like it's the same goddamn script. The Mets have split. Ooh, they split. I guess that's a difference in the script. The split of a four-game series with the Washington Nationals. Remember a year ago, the Mets had a West Coast trip in which they went 5-5. Five and five. They got a split of a four-game series against the Dodgers. It was early on in the tenure of the Rico Bronia podcast that we do. And I proclaimed ever so loudly and confidently, that was the greatest split in the history of baseball. That was the greatest four-game split I've ever seen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, a little bit less than a year later, I'm here to tell you that was the shittiest split in the history of baseball. That's what we got. That's what we got. We got the worst split you could ever find. And it's getting old. It's the same crap. This team has not won back-to-back games since April 20th and April 21st. They have finished their 13-game stretch against bad teams. By going four and nine, four and nine. I mean, my if I would have gone back in a time machine to the first week of May as the Mets were embarking on this 13 game stretch, and I had said, Yeah, they're gonna go four and nine, you would have punched me in the face. And yet, somehow, they pulled it off. They cap off this series and this stretch of games with, I think, the game that fits all the check marks of crappiness. The Mets lost to Washington on Monday afternoon. And you know, that annoys me. I hate these afternoon games. I hate these freaking weekday afternoon games. I got to sit there with Craig's dumb look as I watch the Mets get smoked. I'm getting so sad. I know that's purely selfish. I admit that. That's a selfish opinion. I am so freaking sick of these weekday. And they got another one this week. They got Thursday against the Black Magic Tampa Bay Rays. Same crap. But anyhow, finale of this series on Monday afternoon, 4 o'clock, because God forbid we start the game at 1 o'clock. Let's push it back. Let's push the inevitable death until 4 o'clock. The Mets hit every note from this crappy season. Note number one, suck in the first inning. Beautiful. No problem. We got you. Patrick Corbin will have an easy first inning. And then the immortal David Peterson, who I, I, I can't watch him anymore. I cannot physically watch this man throw a baseball anymore. David Peterson, I'm going to give up a run right out the gate. No problem. one nothing Nationals. So, if you're playing Mets crappy bingo at home, bingo number one, the Mets can't score in the first inning, and they give up a run in the first inning. Check. All right, let's go to the second. Would you like a rally ending with the bases loaded and two outs? Would you like that? Would you like? Mets are going to come back and tie the game, so they're going to make you feel good. They're going to give you that. Jeff McNeil's going to come through with a nice RBI single. But would you like a rally to end with the bases loaded? We got you, but let me let me one-up you for a second. We're not just going to end this rally with the bases loaded. We're going to end it with someone getting picked off. And in this case, not that I want to rip Francisco Alvarez because I think he's done a lot of good things, especially over the last few weeks, but you cannot. You cannot, with the bases loaded and two outs, have your head so far up your ass that you get picked off at first base. And by the way, it ain't just on Francisco Alvarez. Wayne Kirby over there, what are you doing? Like, what are you sightseeing over there? Like, what are you checking out the Capitol Dome, you know, a couple of miles away? To have an inning in which you're set up with bases loaded, two out. And who knows what Brandon Nimmo does? He may strike out. He may pop up. He may ground out. The odds are he will. But he also may have doubled up the alley. I have no idea. To have an inning ending like that with a pickoff? Ugh. And then you had the crappy starting pitching. That That's always a part of the bingo formula for the 2023 New York Mets. David Peterson continues to have no idea where he's throwing a baseball. And Buck Showalter had a comment after the game. He said, there's control, and then there's bad control. Because there are times in which you'll throw a strike, but it's not a good strike. 
David Peterson does nothing good right now. And I think what's so frustrating about this is that he didn't need to start this game. The Mets didn't need to start David Peterson on Monday afternoon against the Washington Nationals. But they wanted to give Justin Verlander an extra day. Subsequently, they wanted to give Kodai Senga an extra day. And so we were subjugated to watching the eighth start of the year from David Peterson. And I know no one will ever remember what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's good for my own mental health. I never want to break down spring training stats ever again. David Peterson had a good spring training. Do you remember that? David Peterson had a good spring training. Wipe your ass with his good spring training. You know, Tomas Nito hit 350 in spring training. I mean, these spring trainings, they mean nothing. The only thing that matters in spring training is not tearing your goddamn leg when you're celebrating a win in the World Baseball Classic. It's the only thing that matters. Oh, yeah, yeah. So David Peterson, I, I mean, look, the Mets may have to start him again because God knows Max Scherzer may end up on the IL again or Verlander may end up on the IL again. But with Carlos Carrasco coming back, and with Tyler McGill clearly being better than David Peterson, even Joey Lucchese, not that he's great shakes, is better than David Peterson. The Mets have a rotation now. They have a rotation. Assuming there isn't an injury in the next couple of days, they have Max Scherzer, they have Justin Verlander, they have Kodai Senga, they have Tyler McGill, they have Carlos Carrasco. That's five starting pitchers. Enough. I know earlier in the season we talked about a six-man rotation, and earlier in the season we talked about squeezing a sixth guy in to give everybody an extra day. That's done. That's over with now. It's over because David Peterson blows. That's number one. And it's over because Max Scherzer never pitches. So he can pitch now. Justin Verlander's made two starts. He can pitch now. And Kodai Senga... Kodai, you're just going to have to pitch on regular rest. I'm sorry, bro. I apologize. If David Peterson wasn't the biggest piece of, I feel bad. He's a human. If he didn't pitch horribly every time he was on the rubber, maybe we'd have a different discussion. But we're not having that discussion because he stinks. And I can't watch him anymore. And I can't imagine how Buck will watch him anymore. And Buck Showalter is asked a question after the Peterson game on Monday. And he's like, the, the reporter, I forget the reporter, I apologize, says, I know the pitch count was low. Ever think about taking him out a little bit earlier? And Buck looks into that camera, and he looks at the reporter and says, and go to who? <laughs> and he's right. Like, who the hell do you want to go to? Steven Nagosik, who threw a million pitches on Sunday in the second half of the suspended game. Dominic Leone who gave up a home run to C.J. Abrams. Want to go to him? Zach Muckenhern was only here for 30 seconds. He's gone again. Want to go to Dennis Santana? Oh, wait, you can't. He was here for 30 seconds, and then they DFA'd that poor guy's soul. Or do you want to go to Tommy Hunter? You saw Tommy Hunter on Monday. Nobody ever wants to go to Tommy Hunter. So it goes back to the issue we've talked about. If you've got to go to your bullpen in the fourth or fifth inning and you're already losing 4-1, to one, or five to one, who do you think you're going to? You're not going to much. But that's not the only problem with Monday's game. The other problem with Monday's game is they're not hitting consistently. And I'm not going to waste anybody's time talking about my confidence that the lineup will figure it out. I've given my opinion on that. Hopefully, at some point, I'm proven right. I've just got to respond to the reality. And the reality is this. In three of the four games against the Washington Nationals, a team with a team ERA of right around four and a half. The Mets did not score enough runs. That's it. They didn't score enough runs. They're not scoring enough runs, period. And that's the problem. And they're not exactly facing, you know, the, the, the Braves of the late 90s here. You're facing the Washington Nationals, and they didn't even face one of their best pitchers, Josiah Gray. They didn't even face him. But look what they did in this series. Three runs. Two runs, eight runs, which was great, and then back to three runs. Three and two runs is not going to be enough. So it's not a surprise that you went one and two in those games. So this finale against the Nationals, was it was everything that sucks about the Mets right now. 
It was a little bit of the rotation, which was terrible. It was a little bit of the dumb base running, which at times has been bad. It was a lot of the bad offense, which did nothing against Patrick Corbin over six innings. Pretty good audition for uh, any Met fan who says, yeah, pay the guy $35 million next year. Who cares? Not my money. And then they threw in the horrible defense when Brandon Nimmo and Starling Marte couldn't decide who was going to catch a fly ball. And I think it was the eighth inning of the game. Game was out of reach, but still. It was everything. It was the bingo card of bad in losing the finale. And it was a big swing game because you win this game on Monday afternoon. You win a series against the Nationals. And I think my tone is very different. I think the tone of Met fans would be very different because we would be saying, hey, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't perfect. I still have some issues. But hey, the Mets won three out of four. We can't even say that. Again, the Mets have not won a series since the Dodger series in late April. They have not won back-to-back games since the first two games of the San Francisco series on that same West Coast trip. Other than the three against Atlanta, they have played nothing but mediocre teams, and they have responded by being awful. If you want to include the losing of two out of three to Washington in the stretch of playing bad teams, that's 5-11. and 5-11. They're just playing really, really bad baseball. And I don't know if you're doing the same thing, Pete, but I watch every game thinking, hey, maybe this is the game that turns it around. Maybe this is the game that sparks the winning streak. Maybe this is the comeback or when they don't come back, maybe this is just the the offensive breakout that sparks thing. And it just doesn't happen because they haven't been able to win back-to-back games in a month. But I sit there every game kind of hoping or explaining to myself, This is when everything turns around, and it never does. Yeah, no, I'm not that optimistic. I I sit there and watch. First of all, like even if the Mets won today, which they never had a chance, I wouldn't have sat here and be like, okay, this is going to turn the season around, and this is going to spark them a little bit. It's the Nationals. They should beat them, and they're not even coming close. And You look at yesterday's game, uh, game two, where they score eight runs, Thank God that Mackenzie Gore threw a thousand pitches in the first inning. Otherwise, I mean, who knows what would have happened? Uh, the point is, though, is that this team is just not clicking at all. And maybe the positive, Ev, you want to take a positive here? Last year, they were so bad at the end of the season. They were so they were pressing and they were losing to these same bad teams just later in the season. Well, maybe they're getting it out of yeah. the way. Maybe they're losing now, getting it out of the way, and they're going to go on a tear. Positive, I have because you can (laughs) find positives, like you said. I mean, that's that's a stretch of a positive. Yeah, just get the crap out of the way early, which hopefully is the case. I see, and I know I may eat these words real soon if another guy gets hurt, and it's always on the table. It finally looks like the Mets have a rotation that can at least stay in that five man order a couple of turns around, and I'm hopeful that. Justin Verlander every five days, Max every five days, who showed a lot, and we'll get to his performance coming up in a little bit. Carrasco back, hopefully healthy. McGill has been, as I said last time, like a fine back-of-the-rotation guy, and maybe he fits that if this rotation is pitching every five days. And some consistency to Senga, that if this is a rotation that could just pitch, just go out there and pitch that the results have to be far better than what we've watched over the first month and a half of the season. And we're seeing signs that it can be. Justin Verlander looked good in his second start. He's going to make his city field debut on Tuesday night against Tampa. And we get to the finale of that weird doubleheader, if you want to call it a doubleheader. That was the biggest positive that Max Scherzer pitched really well. He did, because I've said this, a lot of people have said this, if Max Scherzer is going to be Dunzo, if Max Scherzer is going to be fried, it is going to be really difficult for this team to be good. It's going to be difficult for this rotation to be solid. We already get the positives out of Verlander. Can we get a positive out of Scherzer? And he wasn't dominant over the first three innings, but he was in his last two innings. And that was really good to see. He got through trouble in the first inning, got a little lucky because he got a line drive right out Starling Marte to end the first inning. He did give up. An RBI double to C.J. Abrams in the second inning, and that made me feel sick. But to his credit, he got through the inning. He got through trouble in the third. And then in the fourth and fifth, he really clicked it to high gear and retired the last seven guys he faced. Got a few swing and misses, struck out six guys, 
His pitch count was relatively low at 83. Could have come out for the sixth inning. And I think once Max is pitching every five days and he's healthy, assuming that ever happens, and I'm trying to remain hopeful that that was the beginning of it, then he's going to throw more than 83 pitches. He's going to throw 97 pitches maybe. And maybe that performance he had on Sunday, instead of being five innings, one run, is six innings, one run. And that's significantly different. It's crazy to say that, but there's such a huge difference between five innings and six innings from your starting pitcher. There's a huge difference between asking for nine outs and asking for 12 outs, the level of pitcher that has to come into the game because you're not usually going four or five deep in your bullpen is significantly different. So I like what I saw from Max. It was frustrating because remember, the Mets couldn't score. That game, you know, you forget about it because the Mets scored eight runs in the fifth inning and finally broke through. But in the first inning, two out double, couldn't score. Second inning, two out double, couldn't score. And then finally in the fifth inning, they put it all together. And they got some big hits. Marcana had an RBI double. Brandon Nimmo had an RBI single. Lindor had an infield single. And then finally Starling Marte had a big two-run single. Uh, Marcana had another RBI. I mean, they just broke it open. Didn't hit a home run. They haven't hit a home run in months, it seems. But they did break it open with eight runs. And that the eight runs make things feel different. Because now all of a sudden you get Max Scherzer out of a game after he has an 8-1 to lead. And you say, okay, great, you did your job. So when you go to Brooks Raleigh's first or Brooks Raleigh's first performance since coming off the IL and Jeff Brigham and Zach Muckenhern, doesn't feel as bad because you got a big lead. And they won the game. The negative was outside of the eight runs in the fifth inning, the offense didn't do anything. <laughs> and I know that's such a weird nitpick, but it is because it makes that inning feel fluky when you never score runs and you have one explosive inning in which you chase Jake Irvin out the game and the Nationals bullpen around, you say to yourself, all right, well, is there any consistency here? Like, I'd almost rather see the Mets score eight runs by scoring two here, two there, three here, one there. As odd as that seems. And maybe that's a nitpick to some. To me, it's just, it shows you that the offense is breaking out. Because when you think about this four-game series and you think of two runs, three runs, three runs, eight runs, you know, you could add that number up and it comes out to 16 runs in four games and it's four, it's four runs a game is it's not great, but it's not awful. But no, if you watch it, it was awful. Those numbers aren't actually accurate. They were awful, but Max was good. And I want to give him credit. He had seven consecutive really bad starts for the most part. There was one decent one mixed in there. The five scoreless when he threw a million pitches that started city field. But he had a stretch, a long stretch of, of not pitching well, dating back to last year. And the fear all of us have is, okay, he's done. Now, I'm not convinced one performance makes him not done because I think the two things Max needs to do besides pitch well. Pitch well is one that's obvious. The other thing he needs to do is pitch. He's got to pitch. He's got to be out there every five days. Because as we've seen with the depth of this rotation, they don't have a lot of it now. Tyler McGill has the, the depth guy who's entered the rotation and has remained in the rotation. Joey Lucchese, I know he didn't finish his last start because of the suspended game, but does anybody have confidence that that was going to turn into anything good? He gave up four hits. There were five base runners in two innings. He was lucky he only gave up one run. I mean, he got out of it, so I give him credit for that, but he was lucky. Outside of the seven scoreless that Joey threw in his first start, has he been really great? No, he hasn't been. So... They, they need these guys to stay healthy. I know that's such an obvious thing to say, but it's just so freaking true. Scherzer and Verlander and Senga, and now with Carrasco on the way back and McGill, they need those five guys to be the rotation to the all-star break. Can that happen? Like, is that possible that those five guys can just pitch every five days for the next couple of months? Because if they do, there's a little bit of hope. There's a little bit of hope that – hey, maybe the rotation, which has been so bad to start the year, can stabilize. And if it stabilizes and guys are going five or six innings, you know what else that stabilizes? The garbage back of the bullpen. Because now Buck Showalter doesn't have to say to the media on why he kept David Peterson in, well, gee golly, who else was I going to go to? He wouldn't have to answer questions that way because there'd be options on who to go to because you wouldn't be chasing and having to go to your bullpen in the third or fourth inning on a nightly basis. Well, listen, I, I, is it likely that they're all going to stay healthy? No, it's not. 
Sorry to break that. But I'll try to be optimistic as possible. The hope is that they can all stay as healthy as possible till the trade did at the very least because I don't want to see Billy Epler sit there and say, well, we're just not healthy yet. So once they come back, those are the moves. Our rotation is fine. I want to see what they all have being healthy, be able to pitch every fifth day, have that consistency so we can see whether or not they need. This is the same thing as last year with the offense. It's like they should have called the young kids up, see what they had rather than like, all right, well, let's go and trade for somebody. It's, I need to see what this pitching staff actually has. I still don't believe in Max Scherzer. I don't. I'm sorry. But but at least let's see him every fifth day. I give you a negative that's attached to kind of what you're alluding to, which is come trade deadline. If the Mets need another arm, they can go trade for a starting pitcher and maybe be more aggressive than they were a year ago. One of the positives from 20 and 22 is that right now the Mets are a game out of a playoff spot, which is kind of crazy. Because when you're sitting two games under 500, you shouldn't be a game out of a playoff spot. You should be four games out of a playoff spot or whatever you think that number should be. But if you look around the National League right now, once you get past the Atlanta Braves and to me, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who have certainly figured things out, I don't know how good the league is. You know, the Brewers are 23 and 17. They're in first place. You know, I like Milwaukee. I don't know how good they are. The Padres are off to a worse start than the Mets. Padres have lost five in a row. They're three games under 500. I mean, the Mets are two games under 500 as of this recording. So the Padres are off to a worse start than the Mets. And who knows about Arizona and Pittsburgh and Miami's right around 500. And the Phillies have been a 500 team. So the negative to all that, because that's positive, like, oh, that's great. The Mets are being afforded more time. And they are. They they have not been buried despite this awful start despite this stretch of baseball in which they've been bad for a while, they are not buried. They are one game back, two in the loss column of a playoff spot. Even the division, as much as that feels so foreign because the Braves are better, well, the Braves have hit a streak that was unexpected. They lost four in a row, and it's the first time in five years they've had a four-game losing streak. Can you believe that, by the way? That's absurd. They have not had a four-game losing streak in five years. And it's amazing. It's when we suck again. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's when we can't even take advantage of it. Jeez. So the Mets are only six, seven out in the loss column in the NL East. So mathematical-wise, they have not been buried. We could all agree with that. Doesn't mean we think they're going to turn it around. Doesn't mean they're going to win it. That's not the point. They have not been buried. The negative to that is if nobody's buried, nobody's selling. <laughs> so if... You know, you look at the National League right now, the team with the worst record in the National League as of this moment is the St. Louis Cardinals, who have actually shown a pulse. They swept the Boston Red Sox. They're not selling. So I I wonder if this mediocrity in the National League continues, which would benefit the Mets, if it could also hurt the Mets, that at least in the National League, there aren't many teams selling. In the American League, there are a few obvious teams right now. Kansas City and Oakland jump out at you. We'll see about the White Sox. I have been dead wrong about them. As right as I was about the Orioles, I have been very wrong, if not worse, with the Chicago White Sox. But there aren't a lot of sellers. So I get what you're saying about, hey, let me see what we have so we know if the Mets are going to buy aggressively at the trade deadline. I kind of wonder looking at the standings. And there's nothing in Oakland that I'd want. I mean, the A's are such a decrepit franchise that you almost kind of, throw them away and say, really, that 9-33 and team is going to sell me something good? The White Sox are the appealing team. If the White Sox are out of it, there are actually a lot of pieces that you may go after. But the truth is, can this work now? The Mets have, for the moment, a, a healthy rotation, and it starts there. If they can pitch better, if they can consistently get five or six innings out of their starters and the guys pitch to the expectations we had, they will stabilize this mess. And that's how I'd phrase it. Doesn't mean they're going to go rattle off 15 out of 18, but they will stabilize this season if they can pitch better. They will start to, I don't want to say tread water, but they'll play better because you can't sustain getting three or four innings from your starting pitching every effing night. I don't get it, but I feel like this Mets team tends to play their worst baseball against the worst competition. They didn't play down to their opponents. 
We saw that on the West Coast uh, trip. The, I mean, the A's, whatever. But Dodgers are a tough team. We play them well. You know, I, 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 I feel like this this next trip, if, if they're going to do well the next couple of weeks, they're going to want to get up against better teams. The Guardians are no joke. I, I take them very serious. Do you? They got the same record as us, basically. Yeah, yeah, I know, but their pitching is better. I mean, listen, that's true. That just shows you how we. That just shows you how we view things. Like, oh, they're tough. They're solid. They got basically the same record as us, but because it's not us, it's like, ah, yeah, they're pretty good. No, but I, I do understand your point that when you look at Tampa, obviously Tampa's off to a stupid start. They're thirty-one and eleven. They're scoring an absurd amount of runs. I still don't think it makes sense. I apologize to nobody. I'm sorry. I'm just going to tell you the deal. And you'll all see it over the next few days. When you see the names of the players and the numbers that are being put up, you will admit what I have been saying for the last week that none of this makes sense. But, hey, whatever. Whatever. So, so the I was watching the Yankee series because, obviously, my, my family's a Yankee fan. Uh, everybody in the house is a Yankee fan except for me. Uh, they have a guy – dressed in uniform that's never been dressed before in, in, on any other team. It's an analytical guy. He's dressed and he's on the bench. That's the first time it's ever happened. That should be illegal. If you can't, <laughs> if you, if you can't count cards in the casino, you shouldn't have an analytical guy on your bench. I'm that's sorry. the magic behind the black magic rays. They got 100%. some freaking analytics guy in the dugout. Well, yeah, because they get they, they, they honestly, I swear to God, they go to him. They don't need a book. They have the guy. What should we do here? At seventy two percent, he's gonna pull it left. All right. <laughs> hey, whatever it is, it works, man. That's for sure. But you are right in that the competition is at least more solid than what they've seen over the last thirteen games. Tampa, Cleveland, the Cubbies, the Rockies, the Phillies, the Blue Jays, the Braves, the Pirates, the Yankees. That's getting us to the middle of June. I don't know if they play better against better teams because they haven't played a lot of better teams. I mean, you bring up the Dodgers series. The Dodgers series is when the Mets were competent. When the Mets were going out winning two out of three against the Dodgers, think about how differently we felt about this team. We felt incredibly different. Let me get to this suspended game. We spent a little bit of time on the last Rico talking about how absurd it was that they stopped the game. Not that they stopped the game, but the fact that they made fans wait there for an hour and a half with no rain before they finally suspended the game and then announced, hey, on Mother's Day, we're going to have a two-admission seven-inning game to finish up after the first two innings of game of that first game. And then we'll give you a separate game, but it's a separate admission. One thing I did not know, you may think I know a lot of weird things about baseball. I did not know that the Mets could send down Joey Lucchese Call up Dennis Santana. Lucchese started the game. He is now in the minor leagues upon the suspended game reopening, and Santana, who replaces him, is eligible to pitch in the game. That is very strange to me. So think about that. The New York Mets played that suspended game with an extra guy, and the guy that they sent down started the game. I I had no idea that was a thing. And it's probably a new thing in fairness. That's probably not something that's normal. So Joey Lucchese pitches the two innings. He allows the run. Remember, the game got suspended. one nothing Nationals, second and third, one out with Brandon Nimmo coming up. They restart the game the next day. Beautiful, gorgeous weather. And right off the top, first pitch, Brandon Nimmo sacrifice fly. So at least off the top, the Mets tie the game. They then go to Steven Nagostick and not Max Scherzer, which was my idea. The other day, and I don't know. I think things turned out a little differently if you go to Max Scherzer in the third inning as a pseudo start as compared to trying to piece it together with Steven Nagosik, Dominic Leone, and Dennis Santana. And that's what they tried to do. Nagosik pitches a 1-2-3 third inning. I'm feeling good. Getting a lot of swing and misses on his fastball. Gets the first two outs in the fourth inning and then against the bottom of the order. This is why this game was so freaking frustrating. This makeup suspension early Mother's Day game. There's two outs and nobody on. It's tied at two. He walks the number seven hitter Candelario. He hits Stone Garrett with a pitch. And then CJ Abrams, who would do this all series long, rips an RBI single. Nationals take the lead. And now we're sitting there playing from behind. 
The incredible thing about this game is that Michael Perez, who remember hit that double, that Vogel back was running around uh, from first to third in the mud. He comes up three more times in the suspended game and gets three more hits. Michael Perez with as many hits in one game as Tomas Nito has in his lifetime. That was incredible. They rally in the seventh to tie the game, and the rally starts on a Michael Perez single. Nimmo gets a double. Jeff McNeil drives him in with a sacrifice fly, and then Lindor hit one that I thought off the bat had a chance to get out, but the center fielder Alex Call made the catch. So it's tied going into the eighth, or tied going into the bottom of the seventh, and the pitcher is Dominic Leon. And it was frustrating because I, I get why Leon's on the mound. Because Buck's looking at a second game that's coming up. David Robertson had thrown a million pitches two nights earlier. He was trying to get outs from the, the back of his bullpen. So Dominic Leone is coming out to pitch the seventh. And two pitches in, C.J. Abrams hits a home run. C.J. Abrams is becoming a star by just playing the New York Mets. And once the Nationals retook the lead in the bottom of the seventh inning, it was... It was very evident that this offense was not going to wake up. Uh, well, this was was this the game where where the bases are loaded with one out and oh, Bogey comes. Yes, yes, yes. And and this is and I I I hate to be I don't want to I'm not picking no, up rip him. I'm picking up no, the you're whole allowed situation. to rip him here. Go ahead. This guy continuously looks for a freaking walk every chance he can. And I I put this out there. I said Boy, I, I have been praying harder than a, a, a basis load of walk right now my entire life. Yeah. And he swings at ball four Ugh. inside. It was disgusting. And then you have Guillerme do what Vogelback had to do. He just needed to get a piece of the ball. Would have got a t- if if you swapped Guillerme or put Vogelback in that contact type hit, and and Guillerme can learn to walk once in a while. Then that's that's a, that's a better utilization of these players and you would have got to run because you would have a sack fly. Well, I think you'll appreciate this. I think you'll like what I'm about to say. When Daniel Vogelback came up with the fourth inning with the bases loaded and one out and he swung at a slider in the dirt on that three, two pitch. So he cannot get the run home. He doesn't draw a walk on what would have been ball four. I said out loud to my dad, cause I was with my entire family. I said, I'm effing done with this guy. I'm done. <laughs> I've tried. I've battled with you. I've battled with others. Not that he's great, but he's not that bad. Look at this. Look at that. That just infuriated me. And you know what? I'm not alone. Because think about this. Vogelback strikes out. He has two more at-bats. He does nothing. In the second game of this pseudo-doubleheader against Jake Irvin, who's a righty, Daniel Vogelback did not play. And there have been very few times where Vogelback has sat against the righties. Sits against lefties, doesn't sit against righties. He sits the second game, obviously doesn't start the Monday game with Corbin on the mound, and this is just pure speculation on my part. Just me. I got no insiders here. I think we've reached close to the end here. I think that there are moments sometimes in which you say, okay, he's a nice player, he's fine, I'm not DFAing him necessarily, but I don't want to play him every single day. I don't think he's earned playing every single day. And I think we're closer to a Vientos Mauricio call up today than maybe we were 72 hours ago. First of all, the two guys are just hitting every single day. It's absurd. Every day. Every day I look up, Vientos sitting a home run. Mauricio's getting two hits. But I think now there's an opening. Like, Daniel Vogelback as a left-handed bat off the bench is probably his most ideal role. It's probably that. You know, I'm down two eighth inning. I don't mind sending Vogelback up as a pinch hitter. He's got a pretty good chance to get on base. He does. But that strikeout with the bases loaded was just, it was demoralizing. It was. So, this is pure speculation on my part. I, I do think that we are now less than a week away from one of the two guys being called up. And Vogel back and get moved to the bench because he's Buck Buck said it in the second game by not playing him. Now, sometimes you send messages with who you play and who you don't play. I, I was also a little surprised that Brett Beatty didn't get the start against Corbin on Monday afternoon because that was the second time 
in a short period of time where Beatty was sitting against lefties. I know he had cooled off, but then he started to show a pulse by getting a couple of base hits. Like Beatty was starting to show you something. Uh, he had two base hits in that suspended game on Sunday. Two base hits. So he started to show you something. And then he got on base once in the second game. I know he's not tearing the cover off the ball, but I mean, Eduardo Escobar sitting freaking 190. Yeah, but that's the point of these rookies, though. Like, you, you got to give them playing time. Like, you you can't go, listen, you, you know, you, ha- you had a couple games where you haven't hit, so we need to sit you a little bit more. It's like, let them play. That's that again. We've talked about it. Uh, it's nauseating how much we're talking about it, how little production anyone's giving this offense. Why are we trying to go through Escobar anymore? Why are we trying to go through? I mean, Canada's actually heated up a little bit. I guess Canada and Marte have shown you a little bit, a little bit. But what, they also show the slap in the ass thing. What's that about? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. I mean, I that, that that is the weakest celebration I've ever seen in my life. At this point, I don't give a damn what the celebration <laughs> is. As long as there's something happening. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, this sucks, man. I don't I don't like doing the Rico when we lose every series. It's not as fun. I like having I like having some series wins to talk about. Let oh, this be the lowest of low in Rico Bronya history. I, Let this be it. I know, and I keep telling myself that that okay, this is the low of the season. This is the low of the season. This is the low of the season. This is the low. And it just never ends. You know, you go through these bad streaks, but then it ends and you get red hot. And the Mets have had a bad stretch for about three weeks now. That's a very extended bad stretch. I mentioned earlier, though, the Atlanta Braves have had a bad stretch. They've lost four games in a row, their longest losing streak since 2017. Oh, by the way, you know, we all get the Mauricio Vientos updates. I have a Daniel Murphy update. You guys want to hear a Daniel Murphy update and how he's doing? I'd love to. It's not good, by the way. I'm not, I'm not presenting you like he's hitting 350. Sign him. Daniel Murphy's average is down at 228 with a 694 OPS. So he's playing first base, he's playing second base, and he's not hitting over the last couple of weeks. Still what do you home. mean? He'd fit in perfectly with it with half of our lineup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but if he's hitting 224. Against independent league pitching, I wonder what he's going to do when he has to face the immortal Jake Irvin. Well, let me, let, me, let me tell you something. Maybe we should look at it the other way. Who's in the independent league? Maybe we should bring them to pitch. Uh, that's true. We may have to start scouring the rosters to find that out. <laughs> well, here's what we know this week. They have this series against Tampa Bay. The rotation is lined up for Justin Verlander to make his city field debut. So that's kind of cool. That's sort of exciting. His first few starts have been on the road. It's weird. Justin Verlander spent his entire career in the American League. And yet, so far, his first three starts, two of which are going to be against American League teams. So he's not exactly getting used to the National League, but he will get used to our building his home city field debut against Tampa. Kodai Seng is going to pitch Wednesday and then Thursday afternoon, another afternoon game. Great. Tyler McGill is going to be on the mound. Here's where things get interesting. What do they do for the weekend? Here are the options. Carlos Carrasco made his rehab start on Sunday, so his fifth day would be Friday. Max Scherzer's fifth day would be on Friday. So it comes down to Scherzer or Carrasco for Friday, Saturday, and then I assume no David Peterson. They should they should send if he hasn't been sent down yet. I don't know what the hell's going on. I haven't seen an update yet uh, if the Mets sent him down. But I I mean, can you please? Can you please get another arm up here? And then when Carrasco's activated, that arm gets sent out. So it should be Scherzer Carrasco Friday, Saturday, and then Justin Verlander on Sunday. And here's what's so perfect for my pal Kodai Senga. The Mets then have an off day. So you don't even need to stick another guy in the rotation to give Senga the extra day that you know you want to give him. How great is that? So then Senga would pitch either the Tuesday or the Wednesday game in Chicago against the Cubs, and then he's going to have to pitch on regular rest, which we still haven't seen him do. So that's the setup for these six games against Tampa and Cleveland. I I will give you this one semi-positive. That's baseball kind of positive thing. Wouldn't it be fitting, Pete, like you said earlier, how the Mets 
had earlier played better against better teams if the Mets go out and win a series against the Rays. Like, wouldn't that just feel so bizarre after all the losing and all the consecutive series they haven't won if they welcome in the Rays, who have been in New York for a week now, okay? They had a big, crazy party night, probably on Monday, living the life in New York City, that the Mets take advantage of it, win a series against Tampa. That'd be kind of cool. That'd make me feel good. That would that would change everything. I mean, I, I hate to be that, like, flip-floppy, but, like, to split a crappy series against the Nationals, to lose against some of these teams, and then to play competitive baseball against the biggest, quote-unquote, go, what are you, black magic team in the world? What, 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 do, you, what do you call it right now? What, black what magic they? rays. They got a lot of black magic going a on. A lot of black magic and analytical assholes. Excuse me. Uh <laughs> They, uh, that would be amazing. That seriously would. I would, that would change my complexion of this team, uh, change my view of them at least, because you sit there and say they could actually play real baseball against real teams, real opponents. And, and that's nice. what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, let's get to a couple of your emails. First of all, at the Rico gmail.com is the address. Charlie Frederick writes, Evan, you're a smart man and I respect what you're doing. The other week, you put the thought into the world that the Tampa Bay Rays' success thus far has been, quote, abnormal. You used your influence to let the word spread at just the right time to let the Rays cool off before the Mets series. I feel a bit better playing the 5-5 five and five Rays over the last 10 games instead of the immortal April Rays. Let's hope your plan works, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, I got all these... I got all these plans going on. Aren't I utterly brilliant? Jordan writes, Hey guys, there's zero reason Peterson should have ever pitched in the game today. That, of course, is Monday. Now, with Cookie working his way back, Verlander could have pitched on normal rest. I don't want to hear any BS that we're saving him for the Rays. We need wins now. Sanga doesn't need three weeks between starts anymore. It's time to cut the rotation down and stop having rotation tryouts in May. And he writes out how he would line up the rotation. Verlander, Monday, too late for that. Senga, Tuesday. McGill, Wednesday. Lucchese, Thursday. Too late for Lucchese, too, because he's in the minors. Carrasco, Friday. Scherzer, Saturday. Verlander, Sunday. You'll get everything you want. Just push Verlander to Tuesday. Now, I said that earlier in the pod. I think we're past this. We are past, let's try to get everybody an extra day. Justin Verlander's barely pitched. Max Scherzer's barely pitched. Max Scherzer's had too many days. Too many. He's barely thrown the baseball in the last month. So I, I do agree that it's time to just play. It's just time to, this is the five-man rotation, and let's go. And your fingers are crossed that everybody stays healthy. Jimmy Kearney writes, losing is a disease. Hey, guys, the Mets were down 3-2 to two in game one Saturday. It was the top of the ninth inning. One out, no one on, and Daniel Taylor Vogelback was at the plate with a 1-0 count. Hold on, let me just confirm he's right about this. Game one Saturday, I think he means game one Sunday. Vogelback was up in the ninth inning. He is correct. There was a 1-0 count. Okay, so far this all fact checks on my scorebook. Okay. The Mets, baseball 101. The Mets need a home run or a base runner. Vogelback doesn't hit home runs but a walk is right up his big barrel chest in the wheelhouse. I'm sorry. Jimmy, you're good. What does Mr. Base on Balls do? Swing at the next pitch, and it's a ground ball to third. The third baseman bobbled the ball a half dozen times as he was performing a juggling act. But he was able to get Mr. Fleet afoot by three steps. Complete garbage. I'm done with Vogelback. Hold on a second. Jimmy is spot on. He has corrected me. Remember how earlier in the pod I said when Vogelback swung at the 3-2 pitch? That's when I said I was done with him? It's not true. It's the ninth inning. He's 100% right. Daniel Vogelback hit a ground ball to third. It's basically a ground ball to shortstop, but the new age shift had Candelario basically playing short, and Abrams is right around second base. Candelario bobbled it like five times. <laughs> and I'm thinking, he's got to beat this. Like, how is he not going to beat this? And he was thrown out by a few steps. So, Jimmy, thank you. You're right. I was with, that was when I was done with fat ass, when he couldn't <laughs> beat out the ground ball to third base. 
By the way, Jimmy's not done yet. That was just paragraph number one of his diatribe. I love it. I'll offer you a theory My why Mauricio isn't here at second base and why Mitch Hill Sal swears we won't see him this year. Sal's not a Mitch Hill. Uh, Sal and I argued about this on Friday. I think he's just repeating what he's heard in terms of the Mets' plans. So what I was pressing him on was what would you do, not what are the Mets going to do. So I'll defend Sal on that. McNeil is underperforming. It'd be hard to justify replacing Canna with him. Canna's been as productive as McNeil has in less games. He has more home runs, extra base hits, and runs scored. He has two less RBIs than McNeil, but has played in less games. McNeil, the 250 hitter of 2021 or 325 hitter of 2022, he has excellent back control and took advantage of the shift. The advantage from the shift is gone, and with that, maybe McNeil is a 280 hitter with very little power. By the way, he went 10 for 52 with three RBIs on excuse me, and one run scored on the road trip. Perhaps that's what the front office is waiting to find out. What is Jeff McNeil? What happens come June 15th if McNeil is still hitting around 270? Canna and Marte are playing in the back of their baseball cars, and Mauricio is hitting like Roy Hobbs. Last thing. Well, let me just, let's just go to that. I don't believe the Mets aren't calling up Ronnie Mauricio because of Jeff McNeil. I don't buy that for a second. Now, McNeil has not had a great year. I don't know if it's related necessarily to the shift. I don't think that's taken that many hits away from him. I think Mauricio hasn't been called up because they still just don't trust him to play second base. It's still a relatively new position for him. So I think a big part of why he's not up here has a lot to do with that. I think a big part of why Vientos isn't up here is because they don't trust him defensively either. That's why Buck said at one of his press conferences, he's just got to learn a master triple A and he's playing a lot of third base. This has a lot to do with defense. That, by the way, is not my defense of the Mets. I'm not agreeing with them. I'm explaining the why to the questions we all have, which is why aren't they here? And they've been pretty consistent about defense, 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 defense. They've looked foolish with it because Alvarez has looked great behind the plate and Beatty's looked pretty good at third base, but I think that's their reasoning. If all of those things are happening, like Canis hot, and uh, Marte's hot, and Mauricio's hot. Would they bench Jeff McNeil? A little bit. Look, they just gave him an extension. McNeil has a track record. Uh, I think McNeil would still find a way to play just about every single day. May sit against lefties here and there, but I still think he would find a way to play every day. Last thing. A while back, I emailed, it's time to pay attention to Tyler McGill. This isn't an I told you so, because I wouldn't have made that bold of a statement based on his performance since then, but I've officially seen enough of David Peterson. If Carrasco is as bad as he was before he went to the IL, they're going to clearly need to find an arm. I'll bring the marshmallows to the soon-to-be dumpster fire that is the 2023 season. Signed, they suck. (laughs) Uh, That was was positive. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Then he went on and made comments about the show, but I'm going to leave that one out. What did he say? Something about me and Sal listening to Sal made me think you guys would make for a great life a better description. Guy talk podcast. Oh, he wants me and Sal to do a podcast. Because <laughs> you don't do enough podcasting. I mean, G- Jimmy, how many effing podcasts do you need me to do? <laughs> now, nah, it was very nice, though. He um, he was very sweet. Very nice. Thank you, Jimmy. Very funny stuff. I appreciate it. Don't necessarily agree with everything you said, but it's fine. So here we are, Matt fans. We embark on a six-game homestand, 20-22, and and staring down the barrel of the gun of sucking. Hopefully, we can turn things around real soon because I'm getting a little bit fed up reading all these negative emails and me repeating all the negative stuff. What, Pete? What do you want? All right, so we've done this before, and we'll do this in a smaller sample size, just the next two series. What would you like the record to be in the next six games. I want to win the next two series. The Mets have to start winning series. So go four and two. That's what I'm asking for. I think if you can go four and two, get this bad boy back to 500, that's what this is about. Like as much as I would love to say, boy, I want an eight game winning streak. Boy, I want 12 out of 15. That's great. Of course we want that, but I just want to see this team win a series. They have not won a series, as I mentioned, since the Dodgers series on the West Coast. And considering the pitching that they have lined up, they have Justin Verlander going. They got Kodai Senga going. They're facing um, Beeks is starting the game on Tuesday. On Wednesday, I don't think they've announced anybody, and I think they're going to miss McClanahan. 
who pitched over the weekend against the Yankees. And obviously, they had the horrible news about uh, Drew Rasmussen, who's out now for, for a long period of time. So pitching-wise, we'll see what they face. But win the series. Win the series. Win the series against Tampa. Win the series against Cleveland. And obviously, you know how it is. Sometimes we react based on how it happens. So if they win the first two against Tampa and then they lose the finale and they blow a lead in game three, sure, I'm sure we would be a little picky and say that wasn't great. But what I'd like to see is win a few series and a few more and a few more after that. Just keep winning series. If you do that, you'll be fine. Now, is that my prediction? I honestly have no idea. I can't sit here and make a freaking prediction with this team. What do you think? What do you want? Just go 500. Oh, come on. I, I hate to be there right now. At home? Yes, especially because the Rays will go one and two, and the Guardians, you say, go two and one, and there you go. <sighs> it's not ideal. I'm not saying that's, it's exciting, but, I mean, I, I'm sick and tired of losing both series. I don't want to lose both series. You can't That can't happen. Well, no, it can happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the likeliest thing to happen. Oh, man. They're going to win the opener of the series against Tampa. I'll give you that prediction. And we may mix in some drive-home podcasts. We haven't done a lot of that. And I do plan on going to Tuesday night's game with my dad, Wednesday night's game. So I'll go to Tuesday, Wednesday. So be ready for a drive-home podcast. And then depending on how quickly Pete can post it, you'll either hear it the next morning or late that night. I have no idea. How quick's the turnaround time on these pods, Pete? What do you think? Lately, lately it's been awful because uh, <laughs> my my everything that is just going wrong with my uh, setup. So I, I, it's it's not as quick as I'd like it to be. But listen, this one should be up by within an hour. All I'm right. Say an hour. Look at that. So we'll try that. We're going to try that probably for the Tuesday game. I'm going to make a firm commitment to there will be a drive home podcast after game one of the series against Tampa. And all that means, and I do it very safely, is I turn the microphone on my phone while I'm driving home from City Field to give some reactions to the game. That's what it means. It means I can't look up, look at my scorecard, so no cheating because I'm driving. And uh, if someone cuts me off, I usually curse them out. So <laughs> there's talking about the series, and there's talking about driving home. So we'll do that coming up. But we appreciate you listening and downloading. You can email the pod anytime, the B at gmail.com. I think we've done a better job of reading the emails on the podcast because we want you to know we read it, we listen, and we care. So thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening to Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>